Welcome to Mirror on the Wall, where we take the time to reflect deep within inside ourselves to make a positive impact not only within our lives, but in the lives of those who surround us. I'm afraid that she's not going to love me. I'm afraid that they're going to get what I'm supposed to get. All of this fear of not being accepted because at the end of the day, I wanted to be accepted by her because I couldn't accept myself then. All right, welcome everybody. Thank you for being here with us, joining us. Gary here. Hello, hello. And once again, my name is Victor. So today we are launching our third episode. We're really our second episode because the first one was a pilot and that was the raw material that we had. It was the first time we experimented with recording, putting out a product to be heard. So now we are moving on to our second episode. So, so far we've talked about what Mirror on the Wall meant to us, why this yes. concept came up and how it was that it was an idea for us to look right. after. Out of that has come a lot lot of creative input and a lot of motivation to have different concepts all revolving recovery because there's so much within our recovery that it's something that we want to be able to explore yes, so yeah. Gary well how was, how was your week first of all oh my week has been amazing I appreciate the support and the comments out there and like we said before this not only we hope this is, helps others but for or you know at least I could speak for myself it helped me a lot too to make sure well now I got to practice what I'm speaking on the airwaves and it just allowed me to uh, process a lot of feelings, process emotions, and reflect for what's up and coming in my life. And uh, very grateful for that. What about you, Victor? One of the things that I got to do this week was actually conversate with my mom. She was asking me about wanting to go back to work. And I was asking her, like, why do you want to go back to work? Dad takes care of you. Who does very well for himself. Um, and I told my mom, like, I think that it comes down to her wanting to figure out what it is that she wants to do. So I told her, you should figure out your why. She had a car accident and she had COVID and she got really right. sick. And what she related to me was that she keeps asking God, why did those things happen? Because that's why she stopped working when she was working. Right. And she felt that after that, things just kind of got stagnant for her. And one of the things that I've learned and I was sharing with her is that I stay in gratitude and I quit asking God why. I just mm -hmm. know that there's a reason for everything that's happened in my life. I just have to be patient, wait to see the meaning in that situation. It's just the faith and walking in that faith. Right. And, and she's a woman of faith herself. So I told her, figure out your why. Why is it that you feel this way and why? You know, what it is that you want to do and why you want to do it. Because it may not even be a job that she needs. Maybe she just needs a hobby. Right. And within that could spark creativity, just mm -hmm. kind of like what podcast has done for us. So yeah, I had an opportunity to talk to her and be able to kind of pick her brain and, and see where she was at and be able to see a different side of that dynamic that my mom and I have mm -hmm. nowadays. The fact that we actually can sit down and have a serious conversation rather than just making it all about me and constantly, well, why is this? Well, why is that? So now we get to share a little bit. So that's one Absolutely. of the blessings and one of the great things that I get to experience in my day to day. So we wanted to expand our format and bring in more ideas, more perspectives. So for that, what we did is we invited our friend, LG. LG. Hello. <laughs> so LG is a friend of ours. Really, truly believe that she is going to be amazing at giving us some more insight to what this recovery process looks like, what it looks like for her, because there are different perspectives. And again, recovery looks different for everyone. But the ultimate goal is the same, to recover mm -hmm. from a helpless state of mind. Uh, just to, just keep that in mind while, you, while you're listening today, right? And, and seeing how you can look back and reflect and see where you can find recovery in your own life. Well, first of all, thank you. It's an honor to be sitting with you guys. To have you here with us. It's always a pleasure and it's always a privilege. It's not a right, it's a privilege. So 
that we get to to be of service to others. And to be honest with you, like, first of all, no pressure with that intro, <laughs> for real. I like how you and your mom got to deal with that. I think that today we get to do things like that. And one of the things that you mentioned is like, sometimes instead of asking God why, because as an addict, I'm an addict to everything. Like, it doesn't have to be mind-altering substances. We forget that a piece of chocolate alters, you know, the substances within my chemical body. So mm, right. whether it's gambling or whatever, like, but I do know that when I switch that up, the light comes on. And that's all I need to know sometimes. And mm. I don't need to know everything today. You know, I don't get into my car. I'm like, oh, well, how does this motor work? <laughs> you know, no, I just get in the car, switch the key, and I'm on my way. And, and if I can have faith in everything that I do in that way, my day does become a bit better. Yeah. LG, tell us about you. Who are you? Where you come from? Tell us a little bit about what you are experiencing nowadays with a program of recovery, how you perceive yourself how do you see yourself so mirror on the wall it's the title of our show when you look at the mirror who did you used to see and who do you see today post recovery okay so just to give you a little bit of background at that time because we are five siblings but my little brother didn't come till i was 28 so i was the youngest for the longest being born in a family of three other siblings, two sisters, one brother, my mom, my dad. We had a regular upbringing. You know, I was born in Guatemala. I'm the youngest. And I was born a little boy. I always knew who I was. A lot of people say like, well, I'm, I transcended into my like I never felt like I did because I didn't need to transcend from who I already knew I was. So the only reason I needed to do some transitioning was for the other, for them to understand, okay. not for myself. I remember vivid memories from when I was little. And when I was younger, we did not have, at least in my house, we did not have gender role. My dad I and my mother both work and they split the roles. If my dad was home early, he'll be the one washing the dishes, doing the laundry. If there were nails that needed to be put on the wall, pictures to be hang or stuff like that, my mama would do it. You know what I mean? So like, I never saw like girls do this and boys do this. That came into later in life when my dad was out of the picture. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom came to this country when I was about seven or eight. And that's when he got real for me. As an alcoholic father that I had, he dropped the ball. Now that I'm older, I understand that he was in the middle of his addiction as well. But I didn't understand that then. I remember him shaking on the corner one day, begging us to get him alcohol. I'm like, oh, this asshole just wants to drink like any, like the drama that he will create just to drink. Because right. I didn't understand that withdrawals yeah. were actually a fucking thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like this guy is <laughs> dying sure. on the corner. I'm like, oh my God, like I just get over it. <laughs> like <laughs> I didn't understand what he was going through. Obviously, I laugh today about it. There's times that I do feel bad for not understanding what he was going through. So that was my childhood. For three years that my mom was gone, we went from being top uh, block family to bottom bitch. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like everyone picked on us. My nickname for three years was you little faggot. And, and I was okay with it because here's the thing. My siblings couldn't do anything about it because we were hanging out with older kids. So they would have gotten their ass beat. Then I come to this country. My mom starts to see my tendencies. So I went from favorite child again to bottom bitch. You know what I mean? So like I got pushed to the side and or at least that's how I felt. I remember this one time we were, my sister had bought this big ass teddy bear for my little sister. My older sister was too busy going to work, going out with guys. My little sister was too busy like sneaking out the house at night to go with her boyfriend. And my brother, God knows where he was. And my mom was in her room with her husband. So I was always left alone. So every time I had a heartache or something to talk to, I couldn't tell them who I was. And I remember having this crush on this guy and the movie Waiting to Exhale had came out and my sister yeah. bought a boombox, okay? okay. And, we, and we had a CD, bitch. Like, like, uh -oh. like, like, actually, to be honest, much your age. Not, not to show off, but we actually didn't have one CD. We had three CDs, okay? Uh -oh. Like, we, we were, we was balling, okay? And one of them was the soundtrack to Waiting to Exhale. And I remember the Whitney Houston song. Why does it hurt so bad? Yeah. Okay. So I would play that song, hugging that bear, wishing 
that he could hug me back. Wow. And that was my entire teenagehood. And here's the thing. One thing that I skipped from my childhood is I was molested at the age of five. The problem with that is most people go like, ew, it was gross. Like when they touched me, I felt dirty. Right. I was more like the shark from Finding Nemo oh, when wow. he smells the blood and he was like, oh, good. You okay. know, because I, I was a child. Mm -hmm. I, I just knew that it felt good and I feel guilty about it. Mm -hmm. So by that age, not only do I feel disgusting because everyone in my family, because they kind of see my tendencies. So they're always either clowning on me mm -hmm. or calling me out or I'm the end of all jokes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And on top of it, you had that I was a little chubby. So I was just walking around with a fucking target, bro. Okay. At that age, I'm not only did I feel alone and that I had to isolate, but I was never allowed to be myself. Everyone chose what I wore way that I wear my hair. I was not allowed to listen to any songs that were interpreted by a female because that was gay. Oh, wow. One of the things that I got to talk to my mom about when I had the conversation with my mother was the fact that there's times when we are not necessarily educated, but domesticated. Mm. We are put in a training program based on the perceptions and prejudice of our parents, our grandparents, grandpa their parents and their grandparents, a cultural misrepresentation of acceptance. Mm -hmm. And they put certain restrictions, certain taboos in our life. One of the things that I came to understand is that that created trauma for me mm -hmm. because I didn't understand it. Well, one of the reasons that my sexual life got distorted is because I was led to believe the sex was disgusting and the sex was unnatural. Especially being a little boy, I was going to go to hell and, and burn in the lake of lava. Which, mind you, I lived close to a fucking volcano that was active all the time. So, like, stepping out and looking at that shit, like, just the roof, like and I'm like, really oh my happen. god, today is the day, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I smell like chicharrones already, you know what I mean? Like, like it was yeah. scary, bro. But here's the thing. The, the beautiful thing thing about that is that yes it traumatized me of course it did mm. it gave me all these wrong ideas of sex it didn't allow me to understand that there were limits but the problem was that i don't know how people are going to take this but here's the thing i was a five-year-old learning about sex with strangers with other people when i should have learned this with my parents was i the right age to do it or not i don't know what's the right age what's the wrong age i don't know that all i know is that at five years old i was trained by somebody else you were learning it anyways whether it was the right time you know what i mean well, exactly because this was such a taboo that i couldn't go to my parents about it right we're criminalized by even bringing it up <laughs> yes because then it's your fault what are you doing so how weighed down did you feel from the expectations of everybody around you? yeah and, and, and but your expectation is wrong as in the game is was more wrong than what was being wrong well it wasn't it wasn't only like because here's the thing i didn't know that it was wrong to like boys mm -hmm. till i was around six or seven okay you know after all of this why because i told my sister oh my god me and so and so like we're holding hands and it was so beautiful she uh -huh. goes and tell my mother and i got my ass beat okay and then i understood that it was wrong so for me what made it wrong mm -hmm. was the fact that something inside of me told me that this was not right. Okay. But then the inner self said, but it feels good. And if we tell someone, then you're not going to feel this again. Mm -hmm. So that was my first, if, if you want to see it, and you can see it, like that was my first addictive behavior right there. Okay. Like, no, 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 this is not good, but it feels good. Yeah. So my first addiction was set. Okay. You fast forward to the age of 13. At that age, I'm like heartbroken. So I didn't even know who the fuck I was. So when you asked me back then, how did you see yourself in the mirror? I didn't want it. Okay. And yeah. I never did. Because even without looking, I didn't like the person that I was going to see there. Okay. It's kind of like when they tell you, if you look under your bed, 
there's a monster there. And you el were like, cucuy. el cucuy, you know, te va a agarrar el butt. <laughs> <laughs> like, so you're like, oh, God, I'm not even going to look. Because right. I, know, I know what's hiding out there. I yeah. do not need to look at it. Uh -huh. So my whole thing was like, if I was to look at myself, I didn't want it to see it. I didn't want it to be faced with that. So for my entire life, up until like probably the age of 35, when it's when I went to my mm -hmm. first rehab, I started to look within. And, and it's not that I stood in front of the mirror and I was like, okay, here I am. I take me. It wasn't like that. Right. I was speaking to the side and then moving. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I never wanted to see myself. Like I shared the other night, I said, people always tell me like, you should love yourself. You should accept yourself. How the fuck am I going to do that when I don't know who the fuck I am? How can I accept myself when I don't know who the fuck I am? I was who the guy wanted me to be the night that I was spending with him while we were getting high. I knew who to be then. He wanted me to be a whore. I can do that. You know, my mom wanted me to be like a boy up until the age of 27. So I did my best to fulfill that. Those you expectations, know? Exactly. Right? So I always met everyone's expectations. And I got buried underneath everyone's expectations that I lost my dreams and my hopes. I lost track of who the fuck I was. And, you know, when you grew up like that and and i was always chubby so i was self-conscious i was always in fear because what all of this created in me is this spiritual malady that the book speaks about because i had some principles and values that i went against therefore i hurt and and i bruised my character and once i bruised my character my spiritual side was like oh that's not who you is so the guilt the shame aroused and i was like fuck i don't want to feel like this this feels bad i shouldn't do this and then i got introduced my first hard drug Obviously, you know, the weed at the age of probably like seven or eight, kind of right. like when you dabble with the other side, <laughs> kind of like that, <laughs> yeah. just dabbling, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, 20, 20 something, I found crack. Okay. And I was gone for six months, bro. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 this is bad. So I adjusted myself, moved back in with my mom and went back to being a slave to her expectation. Wow. I grabbed that chain, I handed it over to my mom so she can nail it to the wall, and then I can be who she wanted me to be. Just real quick on that, because I feel like that's a really powerful point right there. You literally ran back to an expectation that you didn't agree with because at least you felt it was more familiar, like more safe, if I'm understanding you correctly. Not just that, but as long as you love me, I'll present to you to who you want Whatever me to you, be. Whatever you, yeah. Like, I'll become who you want me. Just love me, and I'll be whoever. I remember me every single time she would take me to the salon or to the barber to cut my hair i would cry but i knew every time i went back with her that that was going to be one of the conditions so i was willing to go through all of that because at the end like she probably gonna accept me if i do this and and mind you i'm not depicting my mom as an evil mother right because i was blessed to be born from her that's the woman that i admire the most yeah. you know she did so much because once i take into consideration the ways that she was raised to the way that i was raised mm -hmm. i'm like okay that explains a lot so and she's going by probably a lot of it too she's doing the best to meet the expectations that she's told she has to meet as well right and not like just that's... that and she's doing all of this while she's dealing with her own trauma exactly the generational generational we call it the generational curse you know what i mean right. yeah from the age of seven she she got her feet burned by her dad because she threw a rock at her brother she got tied to a tree and they burned her feet. You know, she went through physical, sexual, emotional, mental, all types of abuse as a little kid. For her, power was $100, that money. She dedicated herself and her life and she outdid herself to make sure that we were okay. My mom won American in our country, beating the top lady. She was a domestic worker. She was never an athlete. She did three Americans, one fourth place first because it was extra money for the house. And on the third time, they told her, look, if you win this race, you get a visa to the United States. And oh, what wow. I really think she heard was like, if you win this race, you get a better future for your kids. And that bitch became the best fucking athlete of my country and beat the other lady and won first place. I admire my mom for that. Mm -hmm. And she's too busy to even try to teach me. 
Like I used to tell her mom, like you never give us emotional support. Her answers, and I love her for this because she always had really quick, smart comeback. She was like, "Well, I either hug you or feed you. Right. Which oh. one do you want?" She was a single mother in the '90s, no welfare, no Medicaid, no food stamps, no nothing. Just her. She was a sole only income with four motherfucking kids. So let me ask you this: We're both Hispanic. Yes. You know, See, si. because it was cultural. There wasn't a concept of emotional intelligence mm -hmm. that was bestowed on, on kids. If you behave bad or if you behave a certain way, you were just a bad kid. You were condemned for it. There was a stigma that we as children maybe didn't understand why we reacted to certain things, why we felt the way we felt to certain things. The ability to see the similarities with those that are recovering from the helpless state of mind that we find ourselves in Gary and I were talking about this, how a lot of that has been giving me the opportunity to reflect on it's not because I'm a male, it's not because I'm heterosexual, it's not because I was poor. It was it was really trauma based on everything. It wasn't like the yeah. one thing mm -hmm. that caused it. It was everything. How I was raised, how I was educated, where I was educated, the education that my educator had right. and how they grew up. And they carry that on. I remember the punishments for my mom, like you mentioned, the learned behaviors that they had as children they carried on and that trauma carries on i remember my mom used to hang this cord on the wall as a as a reminder, reminder. like you act up what you're gonna get and, and it's funny that you say that because like in my house we my mom never beat us with a knock she actually cut up a hose <laughs> oh, wow. and she had pieces hanging in the kitchen her room our room the living room so they were easy access. And this is the funny shit, okay? Because I would always hide them all, especially when she was going to be my siblings. She'd be like, yo, you go get me the freaking, the host. I'd be like, okay, mom. And I'm standing outside like, please, God, like, don't let him hit. When it came time to my mama whooping my ass, she hadn't even finished the sentence. And my siblings were like, here you go. <laughs> Dirty. But now I understand why. I was a spoiled little bitch. And that's why I love this program, because now I see how I robbed my siblings of the mother that they too needed to. You know what I mean? Wow. Because I was the youngest, so therefore you tend to me, and I'm the queen of this palace, and I'm the this, and I'm that. So even though she pushed me to the side, I still had the same expectations from when I was younger, mm -hmm. where I was the center of attention, and I was going to get the attention whether she liked it or not. And I always did. What do you think that behavior, that perspective came from? You mentioned you were set aside. I felt the same way. What I came to understand for me was the fact that I was just self-centered in, in that regards for me. That's exactly where it comes from. Was it based out of fear? There's only two natural emotions that we come with, love and fear. Mm -hmm. Now, in love, I understand that she has some the other three kids, and I give her the time for her to have with them. Mm -hmm. In fear, oh, she's paying too much attention to them. She's not going to love me. So there's definitely fear. Fear comes like ice cream, bro. It comes in a variety of flavors. You choose your freaking flavor. And you want to mix them too? Fuck yes, you can do that. <laughs> I'm afraid that she's not going to love me. I'm afraid that they're going to get what I'm supposed to get. All of this fear of not being accepted, because at the end of the day, I wanted to be accepted by her because I couldn't accept myself then because i needed outside validation i need others to tell me you're worth it you're valid because even though i was not on hard drugs and i wasn't hooked on drugs i had that freaking addict mentality i always want more i want the attention i want to have everything for myself i just thought i was being me 
I always used to, like, I remember the first time I went to treatment and I used to tell my counselor, like, they're picking on me because I'm gay. They're picking on me because I'm gay. LG, can I please come to freaking work one day and not find an email about you? I always use that as my card because I'm gay. And then one day he's like, well, look, are you here because you're gay or because you need help with recovery? Because only one of those is going to kill you and I can only help you with one of them. And I realized that I was using this as an excuse for my bad behavior. But I always utilize that card to excuse what I was doing. What I came to realize is that I was not a saint. And taking away from my siblings, now that I'm older and that I see it, I'm like, wow. Because I always thought they were the ones that didn't like me. But I never realized what I was doing to them. And that's what this program did. I keep putting so much chains on me. And I kept on walking to whoever was willing to look at me, to whoever was willing to be there for me, whether it was for drugs or something that they need. Like, and I would uh, hand them those chains. Here, you control my emotions now. And that's what I was doing because I didn't want it to be responsible. You said I didn't want to take accountability because once you're holding my chain, then you're responsible for me. You take that it's, pressure. Exactly. Yeah. So I always thrive in the treatment center because if you give me structure, yeah. it's your, it's on you. It's not on me. Because you're telling what to do. You, you, exactly. you have the chain. You exactly. Have the I give you that. So I give you that leash and I started to release one by one by one. For me, taking accountability is not saying like, well, I did this wrong. No, it's about owning my emotions, being okay. accountable for my emotions. No longer saying like, you made me upset. No, bitch. I made the choice to get upset. Great example. We had this thing going on at work yesterday. One of the clients is going crazy. One of the staff members, you know, and I'm like, so-and-so, come here. Let me talk to you. And he shouts, fuck you, you fucking faggot. And everyone looks at me. We're do something. Because I'm trans, right? I don't remember when we had a meeting where I became the prime minister of the LGBTQ+. And these motherfuckers turned and looked at me. They were looking at me like, you better do something. And I looked right back at them like, I better not. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Because if if I would have reacted to his comment, I would have allowed him to have influence on me. I would have allowed his bad behavior to become my bad behavior. Right. The minute I touch it, I become contagious with it. Wow. So I understood that what he said was not really referred to me. What he said was an expression of his anger and the best way that he had to express that anger. So today, in order for me to take accountability, I have to learn how to not take shit personally. Somebody comes up to me and says, you fucking bitch. Okay, that was directed to me, but you're the one having the bad day, not me. All school says if you have a motherfucking problem come and talk to me you yeah. know new school says if you have a motherfucking problem please keep it to yourself i'm having a peaceful day don't need your drama you know what <laughs> i mean like like i'm not trying today and i think that that's where my accountability comes to not allowing everyone to have control of my emotions have you guys seen that movie inside out yeah it's exactly like that i have my anger bitch i have my sadness sadness like i have all of those in my head okay but today i'm the ceo of that company yeah. i'm not taking no interns i'm not taking no volunteers I'm not taking no grants from the outside. I'm not doing none of that because today my emotional health, it's my responsibility. My emotional reaction is my responsibility. The problem that I have with my mom, with my siblings, with drugs, with all of this, is that that was a way to cope with my accountability in a way that I didn't have to deal with it. So if I'm an addict, why are you a fuck up? I'm an addict, bro. Like, what can I do? Like, this is what we do. My, I always excuse my bad behavior behind being trans, behind being an addict. And one thing, bro, like now that I think about there was this one time my mom went to Guatemala and she left me in charge of her house. And obviously I'm tweaking. And it was probably like one, two o'clock in the morning. They knock on my window. I'm like, oh, the guy is here. I looked at the window, it was my little brother. He was with my mom. That means this bitch came without telling me because she wanted to catch me, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And she did. Wow. Now mind you, my mom is a clean freak. 
okay? Mm-hmm. A bathhouse smelled better than that. A freaking public urinal smelled better than that. And I defiled her fucking bedroom, okay? And I don't need to go into detail by what I mean by defiled, <laughs> motherfucker. My room was a mess. The living room was a mess. It's just on this bad, really freaking bad. First, I was scared because that bitch would whoop my ass. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I was so embarrassed. She walked in and I was like, mom, I'm so sorry, whatever, whatever. And she looked around and she said, you know what? It's not as bad as I thought it was. In my heart, in my head, I'm like, Phew. Yeah. But fast forward a few years later, this woman is a clean freak. This woman has high expectations. This woman has, she she was raised a certain type of way. For her to find me in the middle of all of that and her saying, hmm, it could have been worse. That means that that's the idea that she had of me. Her low expectations. You know what I mean? Like she knew I was a fuck up. So her accepting that now that I see it, it hits me different. Yeah. You know, it's not a breath of relief, it's a breath of concern. For someone at her caliber to look at that house and accept it, how low have I put myself? And that's what drugs did for me. And it was better for me to be like that because in that way, nobody expected anything. So I never pushed myself because I was so hopeless. I was in a state of hopelessness. Like the book says that anyone even want to try. Unless you're not accountable. Exactly. And there's another book that says hope deferred makes the heart sick. I kept trying to be the person that everyone wanted me to and I failed. I kept trying to be to be a good person and I failed. I kept trying to quit drugs and I failed. I kept trying to get a good relationship and I failed. And I kept trying and trying and trying. And I kept getting knocked the fuck down. That one time I was knocked down and I was like, I'm fucking staying here. I'm not even fucking trying no more because I'm tired of it. it. It's better to just stay down here and get beat up than to do the effort to get up. It hurt too much to hope at that point. My last day of using, I remember it so vividly. I was with a guy next to me in my car. The sun was already coming up. I had porn in one hand. His pants are like down to his knees. Oh, mind you, the guy was falling asleep. Because obviously we had been partying. Is this really my life? And the fucked up part is, this is the power of the drugs that I knew I did not want to stop using, but I did know that that's not what I wanted to be for the rest of my life. And that's when my journey began, because I was able to see my own shit. Nobody had to point it out to me. Right. Thank you for the desperation. So what does recovery look like for you now? I stay grateful that I stay connected to my higher power. Um, I have an awesome job with awesome people that hold me accountable. I have a great sponsor. Recovery is beyond the fellowship. Yes. Because it says we practice these principles in all of our affairs. Mm-hmm. Being of service. Being of service doesn't mean I just sponsor people. Being of service is I practice these principles at work, with my friends, with family. I smile. I don't go and vomit my bullshit to other people. But most of all, for me, recovery means I have the power by staying connected with God. Mm-hmm. Because if I stay connected with God, everything else comes easier. And God could be whatever he wanted to be. He doesn't have to be my God. Because again, if I had my grandmother's or my mother's God, I can trust that one. Yeah. And then I look back to all of the shit that has happened to me and I'm like, wow, he was there all along. So for me, recovery today is about having emotional stability, having emotional health, to be healthy in my emotional realm. I used to walk around with the price tag to my life mm-hmm. and handed it to everyone for everyone to tell me how much I was worth. I no longer do that. I hold my, my value to me. Uh, there's you determine that value. Exactly. Thank you. And I heard this one time. For example, if you go to the 99 cent store to buy a bottle of water, 99 cents. If you go to the club, it's $6. Yeah. If you go to the airport, that motherfucker turns to $12. Real quick. He's like, so the problem is not who you are. The problem that people don't know how to value is because you're at the wrong place. Mm. Wow. And sometimes I want people to treat me like a 12 at a 99 cent store. Right. And I, I expect broken people 
to act as if they're whole. They'll be put you know what I mean? Pieces, right? I completely understand that. I share on our previous episode that my perception and my value was based on the external outer realm. Mm-hmm. And when I looked in the mirror, that's who I wanted to see. And I just couldn't see it. So I hate the person in the mirror. I was never adding up to what I thought people wanted me to be. And I resented that. So I had no identity on my own because I was a chameleon. I would adapt to the situation mm-hmm. as long as you accepted me. Yeah. And I would have zero expectations or principles except for the expectation that you needed to accept. Now, when you see yourself in the mirror today, when you get up and you reflect on that internal mirror, who do you see? What do you see? I see a child of God. I see a beautiful being that is on this earth doing her best every single day. That I wake up sometimes and when I look in the mirror, I don't feel like a hundred. I feel like a 20, but on that day that I feel like a 20%, I give all that 20%. I see myself as a person of worth and value. Mm -hmm. So today when I look into that mirror, I see the yin yang in me. And I'm like, you know what? You fucked up today, but I still love you, bitch. We'll do better tomorrow. Go to bed. Come on. Go rest. I became my own mother. I take care of I talk myself to bed. I make my breakfast. I do my laundry. I treat me to self. Today, I treat myself as my own freaking daughter, the way that I would treat my little girl. The problem is that that little boy that I was was so damaged by the outside. Intentionally or unintentionally, I was traumatized. I had pains. I had aches. And I allow that little kid to be neglected by everyone. And the main person that neglected him was me. Mm -hmm. I neglected me for so fucking long. And today I'm embracing it. I pick myself up and I hug me. I come to to a point in my life, based on what you're saying too, and I realize that it's that fork in the road, right? That crossroad. Because you can sit here and be resentful. I could have taken care of me this whole time. I didn't need anyone. I should have loved myself. And you can get stuck on that realm and be resentful that you didn't get to do that. But you have to be able to let that go Mm -hmm. and realize that it wasn't really your fault. And it was nobody else's fault. Yeah. And accept the circumstances for what they were. And today, take that accountability and say, you know what? Going forward from today on forward, I'm going to love myself the best I can love myself because no one else can love me the way I can love me. That's a lot of what I feel right now. And I've learned to give myself some grace. that It's okay. There's some things I probably should have known. But it's okay that I don't know them. And to love myself anyways, and a lot more time telling myself I'm doing this because I love The other thing is that I remember like a while back, I talked to my sponsor and I was like, look, girl, like, like I'll be walking by the mirror at times, you know, like when I'm at work and yeah. I turn, I'm like, what you looking at, bitch? Fighting with me. Right. There's no toxicity in my freaking yeah. job. Like everyone's like, yes, I'll help you. Uh-huh. Everyone's like so kind and nice. And I, I would love to say that I'm waiting for the other shit to fall off, but I know it's not going to. So you cannibalize with yourself. You right? know what I mean? So like like I have to start shit with my own self, you know? Like Yeah. And then I told my son, like, there's no toxicity there. And she's like, bitch, that's because you don't carry it with you no more. Yeah. You know, and now I realize that every time I went into a room, mm-hmm. I always found a bitch like, oh, she's looking at me dirty. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I was projecting yeah. and I never realized that. Today, when I go into a room, I go happy, joyous, and free. And you know what's the miracle of that? That that's how everyone everyone treats me with kindness, with love, yeah. and with respect. And today we gain that ability to be able to show people how to love us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you how to love me because I know how to love myself. And that's how we receive it. Yes. We are able to say, like, it's okay, hug me. It's okay, love. We no longer fight it. So we're going to close it up. I know it's getting close to, to that time. LG, if you had one glimpse of hope and to share your strength, give it to me. What would you do? Don't give up. If I had the ability to go back in time to the little boy that I was born into, I would just tell him, like, don't give up. It gets better. Because I wouldn't change a thing, good, bad, or not. 
he created this individual that I am today. And today I'm a grateful person. I'm a grateful recovery addict. Mm-hmm. But today I'm giving me my I'm giving myself the chance to stay and know what happens when I stay. Wow. Oh, and it's beautiful when you stay. Mm-hmm. Because I've been staying for a little bit over than 18 months. My sobriety date is April 18, 2022. Mm-hmm. And I've stayed for that time. And oof. Beautiful. It's beautiful. It's it's yes. something that I have my own apartment at 20 at 42. I was gonna right. say 22. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's I have never had that. Right. So stay. Find out what happens when you stay and you'll be fucking amazed. We hear this all the time. Don't leave five minutes before the miracle happens. So with that, we want to close it out. I want to thank anyone and everyone that gets the opportunity to yes. listen to this. Please, if you find yes. something helpful from here, uh, from this conversation, share it. That's the point of this yeah. podcast. We want to be able to carry the message of hope. Please subscribe. Um, please subscribe know. and pass it on to your friends. Once again, my name is Victor. My name is Gary. My name is Elgia. Shout out to my abuelita in heaven and my daddy and Paco and Pancho. <laughs> 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 yeah, this is Vera on the Wall. Deuces.